Latino voters played a massive role in the midterm elections. They're the second largest voting bloc in the U.S., but they aren't a monolith. In the midterms, Latinos went for GOP candidates by 10 points over the elections in 2018, but 68 percent of young Latinos supported Democratic House candidates. Latino voters, as we said, are not a monolith, and they're influencing American politics on local, state, and national levels. After the break, we discuss how the Latino vote affected the midterms. We also take a look at what role America's fastest-growing group of voters might play in 2024. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, SmartWool. Our greatest adventures can't be gift-wrapped, but the smart wool gear that makes them possible can. From award-winning merino wool base layers to must-have accessories and socks, the magic of merino will keep your loved ones warm and cozy all season long. Whether you're shopping for the all-day explorer or the late-night bonfire starter, find the perfect merino gift for every adventurer on your list. Enjoy 15% off your first purchase when you sign up for Smart Wool's mailing list. Let's get back to the conversation by welcoming our guests. Joining us from Sacramento, California, is Mike Madrid. He's a GOP strategist and the co-founder of The Lincoln Project. Mike, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Evelyn Perez-Verdia. She's a Democratic strategist and the president of We Are Moss. That's an organization that advises campaign messaging aimed at Latinos. Evelyn, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for the invitation, Jen. So Democrats outperformed most projections these midterms, picking up a new seat in the Senate and giving Republicans only a slim majority in the House so far. I don't believe the House has been called quite yet. What role did Latino voters play in the outcomes of these elections? Well, nationally, we see that the role played was was a strong role. We see that there was enthusiasm by the youth, the Latino youth, in terms of some 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 campaigns. But as you know, the story in Florida was very different from the the national spectrum where we're at, where I live. And I think it's important to talk about that because I think it's important nationally that the people listening understand why it's so important not to discard Florida yet. We'll get more into Florida a little bit later, but first I want to talk about Catherine Cortez Masto. She kept her Nevada seat over the weekend. Uh, We spoke with supporters in Las Vegas on Monday. Every day, I am proud to call the men and women in organized labor family. You have been a part of my life since I was a child, growing up the daughter of a teamster. And here's what I know. Yes, you built this country. You are the essential workers on the front lines every single day. You've protected our workers and their families here in Nevada, and I will always fight for you no matter what, because it is about our families. So Cortez Masto will head back to the Senate. Evelyn, how important of an issue was labor and the economy more broadly for getting the Latino vote out for Democrats? Well, I think that that's something very key in the future to think about in terms of messaging. Hispanic voters, Latino voters, from what we've seen in the polls, care a lot about the economy, care a lot about their small businesses, care a lot about being successful in that American dream that they came here to build. And I think that when when Democrats message to Latino voters, that has to be one of the priorities 
versus um, what we have seen often of, of basing everything on culture wars that really pushes Latinos away many times. And I think that the messaging needs to be more of that focus of Latinos wanting to succeed in this country and being proactive in, in this matter. Mike, this year there was a 10-point increase among Latino voters in support of GOP candidates relative to 2018. While more than two-thirds of Latino voters still identify as Democrats, what does that rightward shift over the past election cycle say to you about GOP efforts to bring more Latinos into the party? Well, I don't think that there's a whole lot that the GOP is doing to uh, propel this rightward shift, actually. I think it's happening despite their best efforts in large part to what Evelyn just said, which is the Democratic Party is becoming a little bit more unrelatable to the growing working class in this country. And I think her advice is, is, is really solid, is if the Democrats continue to focus on working class, or I should say return to focusing on working class issues, they can probably stop this rightward shift. If they don't, it's going to accelerate. And the reason for that is this group, this this large, as you said, you know, not monolithic group, uh, does have a few threads in common, and the most common one is it's the fastest growing segment of the blue collar workforce in America, and it's beginning to vote that way. But not unlike the Reagan Democrats, the last time we saw this this dynamic, they're remaining registered as Democrats, but they're voting increasingly Republican. Evelyn, as we said, there's no one quote-unquote Latino voting bloc. There are 34.5 million eligible Hispanic voters. They have ties to 20 unique Spanish-speaking countries. You're based in South Florida. How did voting patterns change among Cuban and Venezuelan American voters during these midterms relative to four years ago? In 2020, Latino voters in um, registered Hispanic Latino voters in Florida were 697,911. In 22 they had, they, uh, sorry, 640,049. In 2022, they became 697,911 of new um, registered Hispanic voters. Republican voters was an increase of 58,000. But when you look at the Democratic um, Hispanic voters, the Hispanic voters who were registered as Democrats, okay? Mm -hmm. um, 2020, they were registered 947,853. In 2022, 901,481 were registered Democrats. That was a minus, minus 46,372 that left the Democratic Party, Hispanic Democrats. But the, the biggest number here was that Latinos registered with no party affiliation in 2020, there was 879,984. In 2022, there were 966,795. That is a plus 86,811 increase for no party affiliation voters. And what that's telling us, Jen, is that there are many Hispanic voters in Florida that either have believed the narrative because of the misinformation, disinformation, calling most Democrats socialists and communists, um, believing that both parties have become too extreme, so they might sit out or not um, become involved in voting or believe that they are too extreme. But we also have to say something that's really important. You know, we have organizations connected to Democrats 
that are throwing red meat to these actors, domestic and foreign, by using words like progresista, which progresista has progressive, even though it has a different term here in the United States, progresista is connected with leftist dictators that use these words for decades and creates transgenerational trauma. The same with the race fist in the air. It's a, a, a symbol that's connected to leftist dictators. So we have to really think about these intercultural sensitivities that when you're giving money and funding organizations in Florida that are knocking on doors with a t-shirt with a raised fist in the air and aren't calling themselves Democrats but progresistas, there are many people that are fearful of these words. And we have to realize that we have to get to the point. I do not believe that winning the Hispanic vote is difficult. I, it's not rocket science. Well, I, I, I want to come in here, Evelyn, because I've heard a lot of critiques of the Democratic Party's lack of presence in Florida, their lack of organizing on the groundwork outside of the presidential election cycle. Is that a fair critique? I think that there are some organizations that have come here and who have helped change the perspective, reaching out to Hispanic voters. But I do think that there needs to be a better, better work to be done. Many times they've asked the DNC, instead of having their people live in D.C. and, and come to Florida, have a DNC center in Florida. That's what the Republicans are doing. They have community centers. The RNC now has community centers in Florida. Now, many people talk about registering to vote. Um, it's a great thing to register Hispanics to vote. But there's also a big need to teach Hispanics who are registered how government works and how they can go out and vote. Many are still fearful of how to go out and vote. What is the process to vote? I, I want to go to another part of the country right now and hear from a Latino congressman who recently won his district in South Texas. I spoke with Democratic Congressman Vincente Gonzalez yesterday afternoon, and I started by asking him to explain his success in South Texas, despite growing support for the Republican Party among some Latino voters in the region. I still believe that Latinos across the country identify much, much more with the Democratic Party than with the Republican Party. Uh, let's not forget, it's the Republican Party led by Donald Trump who told us that Mexicans sent rapists and murderers and the worst and, and didn't send their best to this country. And we haven't forgotten that. We haven't forgotten those words. And we certainly haven't forgotten all the followers that continue to spew that type of language. There would be a lot more Latinos and minorities in the Republican Party. But clearly, there's an unwelcome element in the party that has, uh, that has really, to their detriment, help them lose a lot of support. Democratic Congressman Beto O'Rourke lost a second bid for the Texas governor's mansion to incumbent Greg Abbott by nearly a million votes. And this was a race that was being closely watched nationwide, particularly after the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Why do you think O'Rourke lost that race? Well, he was heavily outspent, uh, first of all. You know, uh, Abbott is the incumbent with heavy, heavy resources, and uh, Demo Democrats, we don't have the participation at the polls that Republicans do yet, but we're closing the gap. And every every election, we're closing the gap, and we're closing the gap with Latino voters. And uh, just two, two or three months ago, Latinos became the majority in, in the state of Texas. And clearly, the Republicans see the writing on the wall, and that's why for the really for the first time, they have been doing some heavy outreach to Latino communities. They got clearly realize that the only way they can hang on to power in states like Texas and Arizona and even Florida 
is by engaging Latino voters and and try to have higher voter participation, even if they could take a small slice of the pie. That was part of my conversation with Vincente Gonzalez, the newly reelected Democratic representative from South Texas. We'll hear more from him later this hour. Catherine emailed us, please remember that Latinos have lived in the U.S. for many generations. You talk about Latinos not being a monolith and then describe them as if they are defined by their country of origin. I identify as a Latina and am a seventh generation Texan who now lives in Alexandria, Virginia. My first language is English. Please remind your listeners that some of us are from families who have been in the U.S. for generations. Mike, this election involved several firsts for Latino candidates. Maxwell Alejandro Frost became the first Gen Z member of Congress in Florida. George Santos became the first openly gay Republican member of Congress in New York. Republican Lori Chavez de Reamer became the first Latino to represent Oregon in the House of Representatives opening up that tent for what the Republican Party could look like, right? A female, Hispanic female that can represent um, all the constituents. Plus, again, that mayor's track record of being a nonpartisan um, and reaching across the aisle. We have to make um, lots of decisions when we're talking about constituency. It was just a matter of addressing what the youth want, what parents want, what business owners want, and then what the everyday constituent um, thinks is important to them. And, And again, that was crime, the economy, a vibrant economy, and a good education for our kids. Mike, how were Republican Latino candidates like Chavez de Reamer in Oregon or George Santos in New York able to secure wins in, in blue states? Well, I, look, I, the, the best part of your intro here is this recognition of how many firsts happened on Tuesday night. It's important to remember that there will be a lot of firsts for Latinos going forward for probably the next 20 or 30 years because, and to answer your question, the, 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 the complexion of every community in America is changing. The Latinization of America is not just regionally isolated to Miami, South Dade, Florida, or the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. It's happening in places like Wisconsin, where Latinos now outnumber the number of uh, African-American voters. It's happening in Pennsylvania, where there are a wide influx of, of millions of uh, Puerto Rican voters. It's happening in North Carolina. It's virtually every state in the union now has a discernible Hispanic uh, vote. And they are unique. They are different. But there are, all, are also a lot of common uh, through lines that we need to pay attention to. And one of those, again, especially with Republicans, uh, winning uh, is economic issues. That for 30 years, Latino voters have been telling us in polls that the economy and jobs are the number one issue. This year was no different, and it certainly wasn't in 2020 or 2018, or again, going back for decades. So both parties really struggle with this idea. There's this, there's this challenge in the Republican Party uh, about having a multiracial, multi-ethnic America uh, when they do well, it's when they focus on pocketbook issues. It's when economic issues are at the forefront. And as I mentioned earlier, it's Democrats who do better with the multiracial, multiethnic messaging, but they really do struggle uh, in developing policies for working class people that are connecting. And so whichever party is able to capture the hearts and minds of the growing multi-ethnic, multiracial, blue-collar working class will be the party of the future, will be the dominant party for a generation as this electorate comes of age and grows, not just regionally, but really in every part, in every corner of America. We mentioned Democrat Maxwell Alejandro Frost. Again, he's the first Gen Z candidate elected to Congress. The 25-year-old took over Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings' seat in Orlando. 
Gen Z and millennials make up a third of our country, but we're nowhere near a third of government. And I think we need a government that looks like the people. So I'm excited to bring that representation to Congress. I'm the first, but I definitely won't be the last. Evelyn, tell us more about Maxwell Alejandro Frost. Well, Maxwell is a great example of how hungry I think Democrats and, you know, just in general voters are for new leadership, right? Maxwell had a wonderful campaign. He did a great campaign focused on talking to the people um, of showing uh, this Afro-Latino, Cuban-American talking to the people, listening to them, which is so key. And I think that that made a difference in the campaign, that the fact that he really engaged with them and it was it was year round. It was for a long time which is also something that we have been saying. I've been working with Hispanic and diaspora communities in Florida for 20 years. And this is something that we say all the time. Meet the people where they're at. One of the things that We Are Mas always says is, you can't wait for the communities to find you. You have to go to them. And that's exactly what Maxwell Frost did. How did Latino men and women vote differently this election cycle? Mike, what's your read? There was a very big, very discernible uh, gender gap, much bigger than it was in the non-Hispanic community, due largely to the Dobbs decision. There's sort of a mythology about uh, all Latinos being kind of Catholic and pro-life or socially conservative on, uh, on social issues. That has never been the case. There's never been data to suggest that. It's always been... Uh, at least a nominally pro-choice community. But having said that, it became much more than nominally pro-choice after Dobbs, Uh, not unlike other voter segments, we saw a real energy and enthusiasm for younger women, uh, particularly those 18 to 35, uh, that were mobilized and energized like women um, across the spectrum were. And so you saw this really significant uh, um, gender gap, not that men are opposed to it, but men prioritized other issues like the economy, crime, even border uh, enforcement, more so than um, the, the abortion issue. Uh, women, of course, were catalyzed uh, in a different direction. Uh, women have always, incidentally, been a very significant part of the politicization and the leadership in Latino homes. We have, by a wide measure, a lot more uh, Hispanic women uh, elected to office as a percentage than any other ethnic group in America. In California, for example, a majority of the elected officials in the Hispanic community are women. Uh, Same as in New Jersey, 90% of of the elected officials there are women. Uh, Florida uh, is at about parity, as is Texas. So when we talk about the gender gap, the Latinization of America is really going to challenge gender norms. Uh, And we're seeing Latinos and Latinas actually accomplish what non-Hispanic white women have been unable to accomplish since suffrage, and that is parity in elected office. I think that's going to happen in Hispanic communities across the country in very short order. That was Mike Madrid. He's a GOP strategist and the co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Mike, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Coming up, nearly 84% of South Texas is Latino, but the longtime Democratic stronghold may be seeing some cracks. We hear from a Democratic Latino candidate who just won a House seat in South Texas. He tells us what he had to do to secure that victory. Back with more in a moment. Now let's get back to our conversation on Latino voters in the 2022 midterms. Now let's bring a new voice into the conversation. Joining us now is Carlos Carbello. He's a former Republican congressman in Florida and an NBC News analyst. Carlos, welcome to the program. It's good to be with you. 
So I, I would love to hear from you the big lessons you hope your party takes away from these midterm results. Well, the biggest lesson is that uh, Donald Trump is bad for the Republican Party, just like he's bad for the country. The uh, the reason that uh, Republicans underperformed in this election, if you look at all the factors, I mean, there's great frustration with the economy in the country. President Biden was unpopular. Congressional Democrats weren't particularly popular. So uh, if we look back at history, Republicans should have had major gains in, um, in 2022. And uh, even though it does look like they're going to take over the House, uh, there's, there's uh, you know, no other description uh, other than disappointing for this election cycle. And it's because uh, in many states and in many swing districts, this became a redux of the 2020 election, Trump versus Biden. And if you look at the results, they were very similar to the results in the 2020 election. So uh, that's the big lesson that uh, Donald Trump held Republicans back and that uh, if the party wants to continue to grow, uh, they're going to have to look to other leaders. Let's go back to my discussion with Congressman Vincente Gonzalez from South Texas. We talked about the future of the Democratic Party, and I started by asking what engagement with younger and more progressive voters needed to look like. Those who, who make it to the middle first win. Because in the last few cycles, especially since I've arrived to Congress, I've been in Congress for three terms now, it seems that government, to some extent, on both sides of the aisle, has been hijacked by the extremes, by that sliver on both sides, the, the, the way left and the way right. And that's just not where the majority of the American people are. Most of us are somewhere in the middle, you know, center right or center left. And I think uh, the sooner we realize that and, and you know, embrace it, uh, appreciate it and and have that message to the American people that we are the party of the center, the party that brings common sense, the party that cares about the economy, that cares about small business, that cares about educational opportunities for the young. Uh, but at the same time, we also want to continue to conserve Social Security and Medicare and expand it for seniors and take care of our veterans. And when you, you have some super idealistic ideas, you know, sometimes pushing the Green New Deal further than than, than is realistic or, you know, the, the bell reform ideas that are out there. And I'm for women's right to choose. I'm for legalization of marijuana. I'm for gay rights. I'm for all of the things that progressives are for. I'm, I'm curious how you reconcile that with this new generation of voters, these Gen Z voters who came out in higher numbers than expected, mm-hmm. who were motivated by some of those social issues you just mentioned. How are you reconciling that tension? Well, I, first of all, I tell them that I agree with them, right, because I, I support the same issues that they're for. I think it's the messaging that has been wrong. The Democratic Party uh, needs to get their message right, and because we really are the party of the people, of all the people. But we also need to be the party. And, and another thing, we need to embrace law enforcement again and veterans, and we shouldn't be afraid to hold a Bible and raise the American flag. If you're making the argument that Democrats should be the big tent party, and and I would love to hear you put this within the context of Latino voters specifically, then you're going to have voters who are not followers of the Bible. They may be Muslim or Hindu or or atheist. And and, and that's okay. And they may be, they may have legitimate critiques of law enforcement or the U.S.'s military involvement abroad. So how, how do you message and say, yes, we embrace and understand these different belief systems. We are the party that makes space for all of this. Let me tell you, I, I believe in a separation of church and state. I'm a Catholic Christian, and I, I embrace my religion, and I respect everyone else's religion and everyone else's right to 
choose and, and, and worship however they want or not worship all, at all if they want, because that's what the privilege that we have in this great country. Uh, but we shouldn't shy away uh, from, from saying that. We have people that don't want to say that they're Christians anymore. Or they don't want to say Merry Christmas and, Christ- and, and on Christmas Day. And, and I think it's gone just a little too extreme. But is that, um, is that something you've actually, you've actually experienced, Congressman? Because I have to say this time of the year, I get wished a Merry Christmas um, more times than, than I can count. And, and that sounds like more of a, a talking point of the Republican Party than it does of the Democratic Party. So again, when you talk about big tent politics, do you think that message is really going to work, especially with this, these young progressive voters who are looking for a place and a party that has space for them? It's 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 a conversation we need to have with young voters and young and, and, and the younger generation uh, that of course we embrace their new ideas and and they're t- we're learning from them as well but at the same time we shouldn't hide from who we've always been and we've 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 never been an anti god and anti flag uh, government or, or people but there has been some push in certain areas of society where. People are afraid to, you know, hold their Bible or, or say something because they think they may be ridiculed by it. And even even if even if uh, we're not all the same religion, right? But I, I have nothing uh, I have nothing negative to say about anyone else's religion, and I in fact I embrace it. And I, I think everyone should have a right to choose and worship as they will. But we shouldn't have to be concerned. And there's a lot of concern, especially among some elected officials on on how they word things when they're in public and is it going to be offensive to somebody? I was like, look, if you're Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, I, I respect you for that. And you shouldn't be ashamed to say it. Just that I shouldn't be ashamed to say I'm, I'm a Catholic. I want to turn back to Latino voters and I'm curious what changes you'd like to see at the national level, again, to engage with Latino voters and, and get them more involved in the party, both as voters, but also potentially as, as candidates. One thing that I've been advocating for just within my party, we need to have more leadership within the party, more Latino leadership within the party. We need to be training uh, the next generation of Latino uh, political operatives, you know, field directors and deputy campaign managers, and eventually camp- they're running campaigns, and maybe some of them become candidates or they help recruit Latino candidates to actually get them elected. But that's not happening in either party right now. Um, And I think it's a huge void in the political process in America. That was Representative Vincente Gonzalez. He's a newly reelected Democratic congressman from South Texas. Part of what I'm hearing from both of you, Evelyn and Carlos, is connecting with Latino voters, part of the challenge is just you are dealing with a very diverse group of people generationally, um, in terms of gender, in terms of beliefs. What are the challenges you have to overcome, your party has to overcome, to better engage with these voters? Carlos, I'll come to you first. Well, again, I think the Republican Party just simply needs to move past Donald Trump because the Republican Party's messaging and just vision for the country, I think, is much more aligned with Hispanic voters. Uh, I think Congressman Gonzalez is absolutely correct, by the way. I think Democrats uh, on cultural issues have especially become disconnected from the Latino community. And, you know, broadly speaking, I think that uh, the progressive messaging about the United States, highlighting its flaws, focusing 
uh, on uh, the country's weaknesses instead of its strengths. And by the way, that doesn't mean this is a perfect country. We all know that this country has flaws, and we, of course, have to work together uh, to correct those and to make this a better, stronger, and fairer country. But at the end of the day, the average Hispanic family and the average Hispanic voter feels very blessed to be in this country. They feel fortunate to be in this country. They left another country or someone in their family left another country that was much worse in this country so that they could prosper here and live a better life. And when they hear from the left that this country is unfair, that it is racist, that it is fundamentally flawed, they can't connect with those messages. And uh, when they hear you know, that uh, you know, they are going to be called Latinx now because the Spanish language, according to some progressives, is insensitive and not inclusive enough, uh, they reject that because that's not where they're at. So Congressman Gonzalez is absolutely correct on these cultural issues, and I think that's one of the reasons why Republicans have been gaining ground with the Latino community in recent years and Democrats have been losing Hispanic voters. Evelyn, I want to hear from you in terms of the Democratic Party when we're talking about younger voters who, again, came out in pretty significant numbers during the midterms and the previous election cycle – how do you maintain the sort of centrism we heard from the congressman while not losing those Gen Z voters? But the majority of Americans are in the center, and that's something that we can't forget either. And and but we're, we but we're talking about also the future of the party. So we're talking about the future of the party, but just like the future is in Florida, and I would have to agree with Carlos and the congressman. One, the first step, the first step is to show respect. I was listening to the seventh generation Texan who's a Latina. Her vote is equally as important as the vote of a Venezuelan or a Colombian who comes here and is a naturalized citizen and is anxious of what's going back home, what's happening back home. So the first step, uh, no matter who we're talking about and gaining the Hispanic vote, is that we have to show respect on how different we are. We also have to respect, show respect by not using words and symbols that are making many, many Hispanics, not only the older generation, but younger generation Hispanics, stand away from the party because those words and symbols like progresista, which is progressive, which in Latin America means socialist, and the FIS, are symbols of everything that they lost. And it's not only the 40-year-old or the 60-year-old, it's the 20-year-old who comes to this country thinking about this too. You know, we have to realize that we are very different. That's Evelyn Perez Verdia. She's a Democratic strategist and president of We Are Mas. Also with us, Carlos Curbelo. He's a former Republican congressman and NBC commentator based in Florida. Evelyn Carlos, thanks to you both. Today's producer was Chris Remington with help from Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.